0: Tonight we will be teaching everyone how easy it is to do a cottage meeting. Miss Julene is away at her daughter's graduation, her college graduation. So we are going to be playing a video and then having a great discussion at the end. Ready? All right, let me hit play. Welcome to our fourth cottage meeting entitled Foundations of Faith. I am Julene Jackson with Moms for America, where we believe that liberty begins at home. I want you to know you are a part of the cottage meeting revolution going on all around the country. Study groups of moms in neighborhoods and towns all across America were coming together to learn the principles of liberty and faith and then we're going home to teach and shore up those that we love the most which will ultimately strengthen our communities our schools and states our founding fathers knew that strong families equal strong societies and when you have strong societies you will have strong nations last time we met we discussed lesson number three ladies first where we learned that we must educate ourselves first For as the women go, so goes the nation. You educate a woman and the man will be educated. Today, we will be discussing the first of the three pillars of liberty, faith, a foundation of faith. President Dwight Eisenhower said, without God, there could be no American form of government nor an American way of life. Recognition of the Supreme Being is the first and the most basic expression of Americanism. Today we will discuss how God and faith were instrumental in the founding of America. Faith was the pillar of liberty that laid the foundation for freedom, for this country to grow and prosper. In the Healing of America course that Moms for America teaches each week online, in the seminar number one, we learn how God's hand was in the establishment of America and the Constitution, how he used Joan of Arc, Christopher Columbus, our pilgrims and our founding fathers to do this. He was a God of miracles then and he still is a God of miracles now. This Healing of America seminar will give you a bedrock foundation of American history and the Constitution. You will learn what has gone wrong with America and how we can heal it. You will love this 16-week series. The classes go for one hour each week. I teach them. It's free. If you miss a class, we record them and put them on the website, so sign up at momsforamerica.us. This Healing of America course could also be something you study together in the future in your cottage meetings. In the 5,000 year leap book that we will refer to often in our cottage meeting lessons, we will also study and learn the principles of liberty that our founding fathers used to form the basis of our government. There is a coordinating bookmark that you can get on our online store with all the 28 principles on the back. I have carried these bookmarks around for years in all my books, in my purse, in the car, which has made it easier to review and to memorize them. As you become familiar with or memorize these principles, it will allow you to speak with greater authority as we see so many frustrated people today lashing out in emotionalism, fear, anger, and ignorance. Principles are universal, and they really transcend party and politics. You will always speak from a stronger position when you speak principle and truth. That is what is so powerful about knowing and even memorizing these 28 principles of liberty. You will be able to explain why you believe in an issue, and you'll be able to back it up. You will become more confident in your ability to have conversations with family and neighbors and people who have opposing ideas from yours. You will also be able to speak more impactfully before school boards and city councils and in community events. These 28 principals really will become your dear friends. They will have your back and you will feel it and know it. In the Promises of the Constitution, vignette 13.2, on page 284, it talks about looking to God for our freedoms, not government. Our inalienable rights, which are our God-given rights, are referred to in the Declaration of Independence. The Constitution protects those God-given inalienable rights. Knowing this helps us to better understand when government overreaches into our freedoms and how we can effectively address grievances to protect our rights. Religious liberty is among our first freedoms in the First Amendment. There is a five minute video entitled Pillar of Faith and the link can be found at momsforamerica.us under our cottage meetings, which I would recommend watching and discussing. It talks about how in our early history, the Bible was America's book. It was used in the homes and schools to teach children how to read. It taught the founding fathers the principles of freedom and representative government. They called the Bible the rock upon which our nation was founded. Thomas Jefferson gleaned ancient principles of eternal law, as he called it, from the first five books in the Old Testament and he embedded them in the first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. Recently, I visited Springfield, Illinois, home of Abraham Lincoln and home to his presidential library and museum. It was fabulous and a must for you and your family's bucket list, I think. It showed in one of the museums how Abe's mama taught him how to read and sound out letters and vowels through the Bible. No wonder President Lincoln heralded the Bible as God's greatest gift to mankind. Horace Greeley, an American newspaper editor, famously said, "'It is impossible to enslave mentally or socially "'a Bible-reading people. "'The principles of the Bible "'are the groundwork for human freedom.'" And George Washington Carver, The most prominent black scientist and inventor of the 20th century attributed the Bible as the secret to his success. And even General Robert E. Lee credited it as his unfailing source of light and strength in his darkest hours. I have found a wonderful way to teach the Bible to my children through a book called The Bible Story, published by Libraries of Hope, available on our Moms for America online store. It presents the simple stories of the Bible in chronological order while retaining the beautiful language of the King James Bible. So your kids get used to that old world language and will ultimately understand and revere and will call upon those great stories of faith and heroism and courage and compassion to see them through in their life. In the morning, when I have a devotional with my youngest daughter, Marie Hadassah, she sits and eats breakfast at the kitchen counter, and one of the things I read to her is one of the stories from the Bible storybook, and then we discuss and apply it to her life in eighth grade. Imagine what fun conversations we have over oatmeal in the morning with my girl and the Bible. So what are some of the ways you study the Bible individually or with your family? If we are to promote liberty and maintain the republic, we must bring the Bible back into our homes and our hearts. Without this pillar, the other two pillars of virtue and patriotism, which we will talk about in the next two lessons, will not be enough to sustain liberty. Just like the legs on a three-legged stool, it takes all three standing together to provide the stabilization needed against the attacks on our nation's founding principles. There is a three-part series entitled Fires of Faith. They are 50-minute episodes that talk about the coming forth of the King James Bible. The link is available on our website. You could watch it individually at home and then come together to discuss. Okay, let's look at some of the Bible verses that connect faith and freedom. In Isaiah 54, verse 13, it tells us, thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. You know, I just want to talk for a moment about that. Recently, all of our five children ages 26 to 13 met up in Bethany Beach, Delaware, for our beach week. Now this is something we've done most of their growing up years and now into adulthood where three of our kids have spread their wings and don't live at home anymore. So it's a joy to have them come back and each morning we would gather together in our little devotional just like in the olden days as we'd say before we set out for the beach. Each day someone would take a turn leading the devotional as they would open up their scriptures and we would read together and then one of them would lead us in a discussion. Because the kids have been taught from the word throughout their life, they taught quite naturally and with, it, with ease. Our oldest daughter and her husband have just moved across the country and he's starting PhD school and she has a new job in Washington, DC. Our oldest son right then was negotiating his next contract in the MBA with his team and I could tell it was weighing on his mind. And then our other daughter, who is heading into her senior year at college and lives across the country, was getting ready to switch jobs with a significant pay raise and responsibility, and she was even moving into a new apartment with a new roommate. I could tell my three older kids were growing up and experiencing the stresses and anxieties that come along with pivotal decisions of adulthood. It was wonderful for me and my husband to see how they wove their experiences and their worries into the scriptures as they taught the devotional and how they knew that God would watch over them and bring peace to them through all their transitions if they just continue to look to him and obey his words. I saw this scripture from Isaiah come to life in my children Mamas, if you will teach your children from the Bible and the things of God, they will have peace through the highs and the lows of their life. In 2 Chronicles 7:14 it says, "If we seek his face and humble ourselves, repent and turn from our evil ways, God will heal our land." In 2 Corinthians 3:17 it says, "Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." What is the connection between faith and family and freedom in these verses? God is in government. He knew we needed a maximum environment of freedom in order to be able to worship him freely. I think that is why he's so interested in liberty and agency, because the type of government his children live under determine our ability to access him and his powers to heal and change. And inspire the human mind. In the supplemental material for presentation four, there is an article entitled Born Free by Kimberly Fletcher, the president of Moms for America. For 5,000 years, people have lived in grass houses, plowed fields with bare hands, lived every day just to survive. In over 200 plus years, however, we've gone from grass houses to Victorian mansions wagons to motor cars, Pony Express to Federal Express. It all began with the simple knowledge that men are born free. Our founding fathers just didn't come up with this idea and thought they'd try it out. They studied centuries of history repeating itself. They witnessed the tyranny and the oppression firsthand under King George III. They knew that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. They knew there had to be a better way. They found that better way at the foot of their mother's knee as she read to them the stories of the Bible. Each night, families would gather together and read the stories that gave them hope and direction and understanding. They read about the faith and unwavering obedience of Abraham, the courage of Stephen, the steadfastness of Job, the charity of Ruth. They read of Daniel's and David's courage to go up against lions and giants, and Esther sacrificing her own well-being to save her people. They read about Joseph mastering his passions and later preparing Pharaoh's people for coming famines by storing food for seven years, an act that made Egypt the richest nation in the world for centuries. They read the Sermons on the Mount where Jesus taught the attributes a person needs to humble themselves. And when they read those powerful words of Paul, when he stood before King Agrippa stating, I was born free, they came to the understanding for the first time in centuries that their rights came from God and not from man. They read of the Israelites who knew that they were free but begged for a king and traded their freedom for a monarchy because freedom was just too much work. Because the founding fathers were living witnesses to the evil and the oppression of this type of government, they must have viewed this struggle as the same as trading a divine birthright for a bowl of soup. The Bible was the foundation that cultivated the soil of liberty, and America was the venue God chose to house it. The simple, consistent act of reading the Bible together as family, that knowledge that man's rights come from God and not from government, was infused in their soul. Our founding fathers learned all the key ingredients to a free society in those well-worn pages. It has been said that one third of all of our founding fathers' speeches, quotes, ideas, even in our founding documents, came from the principles contained in the Bible. The Bible teaches self-mastery, self-reliance, self-sacrifice, and self-governance. They knew that they had found a better way. Principle 10 in the 5,000-year leap tells us that the God-given right to govern is vested in the sovereign authority of the whole people. So our founding fathers wove this into the Declaration of Independence, that the government operates at the consent of us, the governed. Our founding fathers learned freedom from the Bible, that when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they knew that they were going up against Goliath, And when they pledged their lives and fortunes and sacred honors, they, like Daniel and Esther, knew that they were sacrificing their lives and well-being for what they knew to be right and true. And in 1776, we saw the fruits of their labors as 56 men raised with an understanding of these principles pledged it all for the greatest contribution of freedom ever made on the earth. And when they penned the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, they did so with the words of Paul echoing in their ears, and they knew they were born free. For over a century, settlers to this new world learned what freedom meant. And for the next two centuries, they lived under these divinely inspired documents. Now in this century, we are in danger of losing it these are troubling times ahead for our nation. Now more than ever, we need those timeless stories of faith and courage and freedom from the Bible in our lives. These are the stories that touched the hearts of our founding families, and they are the stories that will revive the spirit of liberty in the hearts of this generation and leave their imprint on generations to come. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States and son of John and Abigail Adams said, So great is my veneration for the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens to their country and respectable members of society. It's interesting to note that his mama, Abigail Adams, read the Bible to her children every morning. Question. What are some of the stories or favorite characters from scripture that you remember learning or were taught? And how did it impact you as a child or an adolescent or a woman today? In the 5,000 year leap, principle four and five tells us that without religion, the government of a free people cannot be maintained and all things were created by God. Therefore, we are all equally dependent and responsible to him. I would recommend reading the chapters that go along with Principle 4 and 5 in the 5,000 year leap and have a mom read and report on it and discuss. In the fourth principle, what was considered the tenets of sound religion according to Benjamin Franklin? And if he said there was sound religion, he might be implying that there would be some unsound religions, and what might those look like today? What did the Northwest Ordinance adopted by Congress in 1787 say that children should be taught in schools? Remember, they wanted not only knowledge taught, but morality and religion as well. Why do you think that was? In the Healing of America seminar number three, We learn about how national testing scores and college readiness and the emotional stability of our children has declined as we took God and prayer and Bible out of the schools in the 1950s and 60s. Imagine sharing those kind of facts in public comment before your school board. In the supplemental material, there is a heart-gripping testimony by Daryl Scott, a father of a teenage girl killed at Columbine High School in 1999, over 20 years ago. This dad testified before a House committee in Washington, D.C. shortly after this massacre, where 12 fellow students and one teacher was killed and 20 other students were injured by two boys that attended that high school then would turn the guns on themselves. I'm sure this hearing in Washington, D.C., before this committee had to do with gun control and the measures to restrict the Second Amendment, that of bearing arms and protecting ourselves. The father of this slain girl in his testimony said, yes, the first recorded act of violence was when Cain slew his brother Abel out in the field the villain however was not the club used nor is it the guns being used today in crimes the true killer was kane the reason for the murder could only be found in his heart mr scott said how amazed he was days after the massacre how many people pointed fingers at the nra he said look i'm not a member of the nra i'm not a hunter i don't even own a gun he said but they are not the reason for my daughter's death. He said, I am here today because Columbine was not just a tragedy. It was a spiritual event that would force us to look where the real blame lies. Then he read this poem that expressed his feelings best. Your laws ignore our deepest needs. Your words are empty air. You've stripped away our heritage you've outlawed simple prayer. Now gunshots fill our classrooms and precious children die. You seek for answers everywhere and ask the question, why? You regulate restrictive laws through legislative creed, and yet you fail to understand that God is what we need. He said, men and women are three-part beings. We consist of body, soul, and spirit. When we refuse to acknowledge a third part of our makeup, we create a void that allows evil and prejudice and hatred to rush in and wreak havoc. Spiritual influences have always been in the schools since our founding, he said, and many of the major colleges were theological seminaries. This is a historical fact, he reminded us. He asked, what has happened to our nation We have refused to honor God, and in doing so, we have opened the door to hatred and violence. So when a terrible tragedy like Columbine occurs, politicians or pundits want to immediately look to scapegoats like the NRA to pass more restrictive laws to erode our personal liberties. This is not the answer, Mr. Scott says. We need a change of heart and humble acknowledgement that this nation was founded on a principle of simple trust in God. Mr. Scott apparently had two kids at the high school that day. He said, as my son Craig lay under the table in the school library and saw his two friends murdered before his eyes, my boy did not hesitate to pray in school. I defy any law or politician to deny him that right. Whew, that was a powerful article, and I would really recommend reviewing it together. What are some of the things we are blaming violent behavior of our youth on today? Guns, racism, cops, COVID? What do you think about this father's observation? How has taking God and prayer and Bible reading out of the school impacted the well being of young people today? Can you see it? You know, for some, Faith might just come naturally. Maybe you had parents who practiced faith. You came from a line of churchgoers. For others, you maybe didn't have that example, so it has to be cultivated a little more carefully and nourished before it can sink roots and grow. In Joshua 24 14, it tells us to fear God, to serve Him in sincerity and truth, and to put away false gods, and to serve the Lord. What might that mean or look like to you? How does serving God cultivate and grow faith? In the supplemental material, there is an article entitled, A Time for Remembering. It tells the story of the miracle of the Old South Church in Boston, Massachusetts in 1746. Are you familiar with this story? If not, I'm not really surprised because they don't teach these kind of stories in most schools. That is why it's so important that we are learning these miracle stories so we can pass them down to our children and grandchildren and preserve them. Can I just give you a quick recommendation? I would read a story every night to my kids out of this book, The Miracle of America, Birth of a Nation. And this story of the Old South Church is in this wonderful book. I have sweet memories of the kids in their jammies, listening intently at night to these miracles. Well, it was the autumn of 1746 in Boston, Massachusetts. The town was in turmoil. The most powerful fleet in the world at the time was sailing from France. Seventy ships carrying 10,000 French troops with a mission to burn Boston to her very foundation. The governor declared a day of fasting and prayer to petition the help of the Almighty God to deliver them from this pending horrific French invasion. The fleet was almost at their doorstep. The Reverend Thomas Paine from the pulpit of the Old South Church prayed before his congregation. The morning was clear and calm. Reverend Payne cried, deliver us from our enemy. Send thy tempest Lord upon the waters. Scatter the ships of our tormentors. Sink their proud frigates beneath the power of the wind. He had scarcely pronounced the words when the sun was gone and the morning darkened. A wind shrieked so hard the church bells began to ring. Reverend Payne paused in his prayer, both arms raised. We hear thy voice, O Lord, we hear it, as tears streamed down his face. That day, the young 10-year-old John Adams was in that South Church meeting house when Reverend Prince prayed for heaven's intervention. John Adams would go on to say, I became a patriot that day as he witnessed that miracle. And we know John Adams would go on to change the history of America and the world because of it. So at that very hour, a hurricane had blown in along the eastern seaboard, scattered the entire French fleet. With 4,000 Frenchmen sick from a pestilential fever, 2,000 dead, including their commander, the vice-admiral threw himself on his sword, the French attack never happened. The few remaining ships, half-man, sailed back home. You know, a few years ago, I was in Boston. And I wanted to go visit this church where this great miracle took place, so I excitedly approached the building. There was not a sign, not a placard, not a monument to this 1746 miracle. I asked a guide to tell me the story. She didn't know it. I went to the bookstore to see if there was a book on it. Nothing. The miracle was totally forgotten or unknown by those who worked there and probably to everyone visiting that site that day. Karl Marx, the communist revolutionary, stated that a people without a heritage are easily persuaded. He also said that religion is the sign of the oppressed creature. No surprise, he was an atheist. Our heritage is rich with accounts of faith and courage and the saving hand of God. To many of the rising generation, however, they're unfamiliar with these great miracles and stories and patriots of the past. Has the Day of Miracles ceased in regards to America? Dare we believe that God will come to our aid, just like those praying in the Old South Church that autumn day in 1746? I believe he will, mamas, and I think all of you believe that as well. Hope is on the horizon as modern-day patriots connect with the faith in the character and patriotism of the past. This connection can be found in one word, remember. Remember the bravery and the sacrifice. Remember the perseverance and the faith. Remember the heroes, remember those who have become or are becoming lost. During this wave of being woke, I went to the grocery store recently and I purchased some syrup. The next morning as all the kids were in the kitchen, I looked again at that syrup bottle. It looked exactly like the Aunt Jemima syrup, but with a new name and no picture of her. I thought, hmm, maybe it's a cheap knockoff. But then I realized it was the Aunt Jemima syrup. They had changed the name as not to offend and took her off the bottle. And it was now called the Pearl Milling Company syrup. Now that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. I had actually remembered reading an article recently that the Aunt Jemima on that syrup bottle was a real woman, Nancy Green. She was born a slave in 1834. And after the Civil War, she was discovered by the Davis Mill Company, and she became the top brand promoter of their syrup, and made over $19 million in her lifetime. What an amazing story of overcoming, rising up from slavery, using free enterprise principles. Way to go, Mrs. Green! Not to mention the story of the South, of black and white coming together after the war. Who would think pancakes would be a part of this healing? It was said that her family and descendants were so disappointed by this change as now her story, Nancy Green's story of triumph and victory will become lost and unknown to future generations. The word remember carries great power because it maintains a link to the lessons of history and the inspiration of the past. Question: What are you doing to help your children and grandchildren remember the great stories and people and miracles of the past? Tell the stories of faith in God, mothers. Know those stories our last story today describes the constitutional convention that hot summer of 1787 when the delegates had reached the tipping point many threatening to leave abandoning the work of writing the constitution quietly benjamin franklin the oldest delegate and most respected statesman at 81 arose to address the convention he called them to pray I have lived a long time, he said, and the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of man. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? He then implored them to pray for the assistance of heaven and God's blessings upon this deliberation every morning. His words had a sobering effect upon the delegates, and they stayed and continued on with the work of writing the Constitution. If you haven't had a chance to visit Mama's Independence Hall in Philadelphia, where this great convention took place, I would highly recommend it. Some might say we are at the tipping point of this nation, It might just be our daily prayers that remind us that God governs in the affairs of our life and this land. I had a mama tell me the other day, she gets so discouraged sometimes as she watches the news and sees what's going on. And then she said, sometimes the only thing I can do is to pray. I think that is actually one of the greatest gifts we can give to our family, our example and testimony of prayer. If we do nothing else, let us instill in our children this foundation of faith. Recently, we got a phone call from Frankie, our 23-year-old basketball player. He told Dad, I just prayed for help. I'm about to go into my NBA's team's general manager and negotiate my contract and my future. And he asked if we would pray for him. Honestly, my heart soared when my husband came and found me and asked me to pray for Frankie. If we can teach our kids to go to God in their hour of need, this nation shall endure. Frankie called a few hours later to say they had a great conversation. The general manager answered his questions and reassured him even before he had to ask. If our children and grandchildren know that it is the Lord who gives us help and comfort and guidance, they will be a tremendous force and light to many in the world. And they will know with a surety how to fight the battles ahead. Truly, God can heal us, our homes, our communities, and our land as we turn to him. You know, my favorite scripture in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, Pray, seek his face, humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, and he will heal our land. I am so grateful for our founders' foundation of faith. And now it is up to us to remember and pass it on so our rising generations can carry on this flame of freedom. Let's review our questions for discussion. Number one, what are some of the ways you study the Bible individually or with your family? Number two, what are some of the stories or characters from scripture that you remember learning or were taught and how did it impact you as a child or as an adolescent or a woman today? Number three, What was considered the tenets of sound religion according to Benjamin Franklin, found in Principle 4 of the 5,000-year leap, and what might be some unsound religions of our day? Also, discuss the Northwest Ordinance that was adopted by Congress in 1787, and why our founding fathers wanted three things taught in school, morality, religion, and knowledge. How might you effectively testify before the school board about this? Number four, what are some of the things that we are blaming violent behavior of our youth on today? What do you think about this father's observation that Columbine was not just a tragedy, but a spiritual event? And how has taking God and prayer and Bible reading out of the school impacted the well being of young people today? Talk about Joshua 24, 14, how it tells us how we can cultivate more faith in God. What might that mean or look like to you? And number six, how do we help our children and our grandchildren remember the great stories and people and miracles of the past? Sweet mamas, let our homes be houses of prayer, of the Bible, of learning and remembering. Let's teach by example. When we pray, God listens. When we obey, God acts. As we teach our children the greatness of God and the foundations of faith upon which this nation was established, they will know hope is on the horizon as they connect with faith and character and patriotism of the past. Take care for now, mamas. We'll see you soon.